Chapter 31 of The Dark Other. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dark Other by Stanley G. Weinbaum. Chapter 31 Not Humanly Possible. Pat opened weary eyes and gazed at a blank, uninformative ceiling. It was some moments before she realized she was lying on the couch in the room of Nicholas Devine. Somebody had placed her there, presumably, since she was quite unaware of the circumstances of her awakening. Then recollection began to form. Dr. Carl. The other. The roar of a shot. After that, nothing save a turmoil ending in blankness. A sound of movement beside her drew her attention. She turned her head and perceived Dr. Hawker kneeling over a form on the floor, fingering a white bandage about the head of the figure. Her recollections took instant form. She remembered the catastrophes of the evening, last night rather, since dawn glowed dully in the window. She had shot Nick. She gave a little moan and pushed herself to a sitting position. The doctor glanced at her with a sick, shaky smile. Hello, he said. Come too, have you? Sorry I couldn't give you any attention. He gave the bandage a final touch. Here's a job I had no heart for, he muttered. Better for everyone to let things happen without interference. The girl, returning to full awareness, noticed now that the bandage consisted of strips of the doctor's shirt. She glanced fearfully at the still features of Nicholas Devine. She saw pale cheeks and closed eyes, but indubitably not the grim mien of the demon. "'Dr. Carl,' she whispered, "'he isn't—he isn't—' "'Not yet. But will he? I don't know. That's a bad spot. A wound at the base of the brain.' You'd best know it now, Pat, but also realize that nothing can happen to you. I'll see to that. To me, she said dully, what difference does that make? It's Nick I want saved. I'll do my best for you, honey, said Hawker with almost a hint of reluctance. I phoned Briggs General for an ambulance. Your faint lasted a full quarter hour, he added. What can we tell them? asked the girl. What can we say? Don't you say anything, Pat. I'm not on the board for nothing. He rose from his knees, glancing out of the window into the cool dawn. Queer neighborhood, he said. All that yelling and a shot, and still no sign of interest from the neighbors. That's Chicago, though, he mused. Lucky for us, Pat, we can handle the thing quietly now. But the girl was staring dully at the still figure on the floor. Oh, God she said huskily. Help him, Dr. Carl. I'll do my best, responded Hawker gloomily. I was a good surgeon before I specialized in psychiatry. Brain surgery, too. It led right into my present field. Pat said nothing, but dropped her head on her hands and stared vacantly before her. Better for you and for him, too, if I fail, muttered the doctor. His words brought a reply. You won't fail, she said tensely. You won't. 
Not voluntarily, I'm afraid, he growled morosely. I've still a little respect for medical ethics, but if ever a case... His voice trailed into silence as from somewhere in the dawn sounded the wail of a siren. There's the ambulance, he finished. Pat sat unmoving as the sounds from outdoors detailed the stopping of the vehicle before the house. She heard the doctor descending the steps and the creak of the door. Though it took place before her eyes, she scarcely saw the white-coated youths as they lifted the form of Nicholas Devine and bore it from the room on a stretcher, treading with carefully broken steps to prevent the swaying of the support. Dr. Hawker's order to follow made no impression on her. She sat dully on the couch as the chamber emptied. Why, she wondered, had the thought of Nick's death disturbed her soul? Wasn't it but a short time since they had both contemplated it? What had occurred to alter that determination? Nick was dying, she thought mournfully. All that remained was for her to follow. There on the floor lay the revolver, and on the table, glistening in the wan light, reposed the untouched lethal draught. That was the preferable way, she mused, staring fixedly at its glowing contour. But suppose Nick weren't to die. She'd have abandoned him to his terrible doom, left him to face a situation far more ominous than any unknown terrors beyond death. She shook her head distractedly, and looked up to meet the eyes of Dr. Hawker, who was watching her gravely in the doorway. "'Come on, Pat,' he said gently. She rose, followed him down the stairs, and out into the morning light. The driver of the ambulance stared curiously at her disheveled, bedraggled figure, but she was so weary and forlorn that even the effort of brushing away the black strands of hair that clouded her smoke-dark eyes was beyond her. She slumped into the seat of the doctor's car and sighed in utter exhaustion. "'Rush it!' Hawker called to the driver ahead. "'I'll follow you.' The car swept into motion, and the swift cool morning air beating against her face from the open window restored some clarity to her mind. She fixed her eyes on the rear of the speeding vehicle they followed. "'Is there any hope at all?' she queried despondently. "'I don't know, Pat. I can't tell yet. When you closed your eyes, he had half-turned, dodged, and the bullet entered his skull near the base, near the cerebellum. If it had pierced the cerebellum, his heart and breathing must have stopped instantly. They didn't, however, and that's a mildly hopeful sign. Very mildly hopeful, though. Do you know now what that devil, what the attack was? No, Pat, Hawker admitted, I don't. Call it a devil if you like. I can't name it any better. His voice changed to a tone of wonder. Pat, I can't understand that paralyzing fascination the thing exerted. I, any medical man, would say that mental dominance of that sort doesn't exist. Hypnotism? the girl suggested. Bah! Every psychiatrist uses hypnotism in his business. It's part of some treatments. There's nothing of fascination about it. No dominance of one will over another, despite the popular view. That's natural and understandable. This was like, well, like the exploded claims of mesmerism. 
I tell you, it's not humanly possible, and yet I felt it. Not humanly possible, murmured Pat. That's the answer then, Dr. Carl. Maybe now you'll believe in my devil. I'm tempted to. You'll have to. Can't you see it, Dr. Carl? Even his name, Nick, that's a colloquialism for the devil, isn't it? And divine, I suppose, said Hawker, refers to his angelic ancestry. Devils are only fallen angels, aren't they? All right, said Pat wearily. Make fun of it, you'll see. I'm not making fun of your theory, honey. I can't offer a better one myself. I never saw nor heard of anything similar, and I'm not in position to ridicule any theory. But you don't believe me. Of course I don't, Pat. You're weaving an intricate fairy tale about a pathological condition and a fortuitous suggestiveness in names. Whatever the condition is, and I confess I don't understand it, it's something rational, and those things can be treated. Treated by exorcism, said the girl. That's the only way anyone ever succeeded in casting out a devil. The doctor made no answer. The wailing vehicle ahead of them swung rapidly out of sight into an alley, and Hawker halted his car before the grey façade of Briggs General. "'Come in here,' he said, helping Pat to alight. "'You'll want to wait, won't you?' "'How long?' she queried listlessly. "'Before. Before you'll know. Perhaps immediately. The only chance is to get that bullet out at once, if there's still time for it.' She followed him into the building, past a desk where a white-clad girl regarded her curiously, and up an elevator. He led her into a small office. "'Sit here,' he said gently, and disappeared. She sat dully in the chair he had indicated, and minutes passed. She made no attempt to think. The long, cataclysmic night had exhausted her powers. She simply sat and suffered. The deep scratches of fingernails burned in the flesh of her back, her cheek pained from the violent slap, and her head and jaw ached from that first blow, the one that had knocked her unconscious last evening. But these twinges were minor, they were merely physical, and the hurts of the demon had struck far deeper than any physical injury. The damage to her spirit was by all odds the more painful. It numbed her mind and dulled her thoughts, and she simply sat idle and stared at the blank wall. She had no conception of the interval before Dr. Hawker returned. He entered quietly and began rinsing his hands at a basin in the corner. "'Is it over?' she asked listlessly. "'Not even begun,' he responded. "'However, it isn't too late. He'll be ready in a moment or so.' "'I wish it were over.' she murmured, one way or the other. I, too, said the doctor, with all my heart I wish it were over. If there were anyone within call who could handle it, I'd turn it to him gladly, but there isn't. He moved again toward the door, leaning out and glancing down the hall. You stay here, he admonished her. Don't try to find us. I want no interruptions, no matter what enters that mind of yours. You needn't worry, she said soberly. I'm not fool enough for that. She leaned wearily back in the chair, closing her eyes. A long interval passed. 
She was vaguely surprised to see the doctor still standing in the doorway when she opened her eyes. She had fancied him already in the midst of his labor. "'What will you do?' she asked. "'About what?' "'I mean, what sort of operation will it need? Probing or what?' "'Oh,' he said, "'I'll have to trephine him. Must get that bullet. What's that trephine?' He glanced down the hall. "'They're ready,' he said, and turned to go. At the door he paused. "'Trephining is to open a little door in the skull. If your devil is in his head, we'll have it out along with the bullet.' His footsteps receded down the hall. End of chapter 31